Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. Good to have you here this morning. Uh, We've got something special in store, a great treat for you guys. I think you're all going to enjoy. This morning, we are going to be doing something uh, very interesting where a friend of ours is going to be coming and sharing his story through pictures and video. I have known Pete for, gosh, probably 30-some years. Uh, Met him when I was five. Um, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Known Pete for so long. He has always been such a gifted uh, individual. I have copied so much of what I see him do. I just thought, oh, that looks good. I'll try and do something like that. And I think that one of the things that has taken place in Pete's life is because he is so talented and because he is one of these likable guys that I think a lot of the places he's been serving at, there develops almost a jealousy, I think, in some places because of how talented he is. And it's a shame that that happens with people in leadership, but it's something that I hope you will celebrate in him and allow his talent and his creativity to be an inspiration and a magnet for you, that it will inspire you. It's amazing how God works, right? God works through people. People are the material of God's choice. And we learn from one another, we grow because of one another. And so my desire is that we would all grow this morning through what God has given to Pete and how he has inspired him. And so we are going to start off with a video, and I pray that you guys will enjoy this time we have. The Celtics, they have this phrase that says, the thin places. And what that means is it's a place where the curtain or the wall between uh, eternity and our reality is so thin that you can actually start to see and maybe start peeking into it. So for me, photography can be that, where you can actually experience something at an image and it recalls things. For me, when I see an image and it does something for me, it's probably no different than a parable that Jesus spoke. All of a sudden, in just one hit, bang, it's like, wow, there's something there and it's telling me a story. And that's kind of my dream when I take a photograph. Is that going to tell the story? That's what I really want it to do. 
The North Shore is one of the most beautiful and famous parts of Hawaii, full of surf culture and natural beauty. Today, Kalo on the street becomes Kalo on the beach as we hang out with Peter David Klaproth, a guy who has the unique ability to capture the beauty of God's creation. Photography is just one of the ways he has found to minister to the community on the North Shore and beyond. I don't know how old I was. I was probably 18. 19. And I love photography, and I thought, oh, I, I got a mail order of a Canon AE-1. So I started shooting, but I love Yosemite. I mean, as, as a kid, we'd go there every summer. And uh, living in Southern California and going up to Yosemite, my mom just loved the place. So every summer I was out there shooting, and sure enough, ran into Ansel Adams. He has a studio there, or a gallery, and uh, saw his stuff. And I think that's probably what triggered it. He is well-known, probably one of the pioneers in, in photography. I mean, his early stuff starts like in um, 1920. I remember growing up thinking, I just want to do that. And it, to me, it's kind of simple, but try and do it. It's a lot harder, <laughs> right. right? Pete and I, we go back to Calvary Chapel, West Covina, probably 1980, and uh, we did ministry together. I was going to film school at the time, and the ministry was getting involved in, in video. They had a video camera, and I saw Pete and a couple other guys working it. If you ever see how directors and cinematographers work, you got to find that guy to be able to visualize and capture his vision, right? So we work as a team like that. And then, you know, Pete has such a creative eye. It didn't surprise me that, you know, some of the photography and what he's doing, he's just always had good composition, good, uh, you know, just, I think, just a gift from God. Pete has had a lot of suffering in his life, but he also has an extraordinarily deep and abiding faith. And so somehow he's able to capture the pain and the beauty and the majesty and the chaos in his photography. It's, it's extraordinary. Pete's photography really captures the moment, and it feels to me like it's capturing action. It may be because he does a lot of wave photography, and so when you're looking at it, you really, you almost feel like you're seeing motion, but you're not because it's a still. He travels around, and he has like a really good eye for just detail and perspective. Pete's a go-getter. He's always moving. He's always doing something. He's always recreating himself. He loves the Lord, of course, and just wants to serve and do whatever the Lord calls him to do. One thing we started to do here on the North Shore was do a photography workshop that people could come in and it was a great opportunity to connect with the community and teach them photography from square one all the way through. We'd go out and shoot sunsets and stuff. It was great. In high school I took some classes and then this workshop just I learned so much more. Just like the details of cameras and um, just like composition and even Lightroom and stuff, the more processing aspect of photography. If I then I release it. I just turn it on and just see if it's there. Yeah, if you release it, it'll go away. You see it? Just kind of tilt it back and forth. Oh, yeah. Right off the bat, uh, my sister and I were joking that it's like photography seminary. You know, we're talking about theology, and then he's teaching us, you know, how to adjust the exposure on our camera. And I've really just loved integrating, you know, that faith and the learning aspect of it. And as Christians, I just think that's really important to bring faith into every aspect. And so, you know, you can take God out of it if you want, but he's the one creating the waves and painting the sunset and 
So just, you know, taking that picture and being like, man, guys, like, God is so cool. And I just love being able to freely talk about that and have him as the teacher and the mentor be able to encourage us and teach us that as well. He would just incorporate, like, the spiritual aspect of God's nature and just how we can capture that with photography and what a privilege that is. The best camera can only get about 13 steps of dynamic range. That's very scientific. It's a raw digital file. It's just information. And it doesn't look that great. All the colors are dull. Everything looks kind of subdued. All it is is, you got to imagine, you're just capturing information. Right. So you, that's the job. You're trying to capture as much info as you can. Therefore, when we go into uh, our processing, that's when we begin to deal with the colors and so forth, and we bring out what we want to bring out and to pull back what we don't want. So you can bring focus to the image. You can um, create or add color that's already there, but you're bringing it up. And the other thing about photography is you're always trying to find a different perspective because you want to take people to a place they haven't been before. That's the valuable photograph, when they can look at something and think, wow, I've never seen that before. I've never been there before. I love looking at these portraits and talking about them with you because these are like windows into time of your moments with God doing what you love to do. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you put a lot of work and a lot of time, a lot of effort to be there. Mm. And I get you to sit here and enjoy the fruit of that. Yeah. And that is such a cool thing to see. So usually Pete is shooting scenic landscapes, but today we're going where the action is. The Pipeline Masters, the most prestigious surf event in the world is happening right now. And I'm heading back out there so Pete can teach me a thing or two. Just gotta make one quick stop before we go. Where's this guy? Oh, oh, oh. oh gosh. Hey Pete. Hey Doug. What are you doing, man? Uh, I was just grabbing you a shave ice. Doug, you've got to come here. It's now or never. We're at the quarterfinals. Oh. You got to get here or you're going to miss the whole thing. All right. Okay, I'm coming. All right, get here now. Oh. Did I miss anything? Yeah, you missed tons. Let's do it about here, okay? Okay. So get your camera out, man. Okay. Come on, dude. I'm coming. Lens cap. Always take yeah, the lens cap Yeah, kind off. of a... Yeah, that's important, yeah. okay? So you want to make sure you're shooting at a super high shutter speed. So you want to make sure you're like, uh, try to get like 2,500th of a second I've or never, higher. I've never done stills. Oh, okay, this should be exciting then. Okay, so... All right, you're on so, your own. So... <laughs> so, so put it in the photo. Put it in the photo. Say, oh, look at that. That's so beautiful. Oh, I'm missing everything. Yeah. How many shots? I've taken already uh, 20 shots. So where, where are you at? Okay, you I'm coming. So this is this is the carnival, dude. And we've got all this stuff over here. Come check this out. That's pipe. This is pipe. Fully, fully crazy. That's it. <laughs> How are we? Thanks so much for having me. Let's see if this works here. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> technology always freaks me out. Hey, um, thanks for having us, and, and I'm really excited to hear about your building. That's really great. So I want, I've got a little contribution here for you, Sam. 
So this is a, a shot I call Twin Peaks. It's actually a shot of two big peaks. One is Mount Ka'ala, which is the highest point in, in Oahu, and then a really big wave in uh, Waimea. So this is for you, because one day you're going to go out there and surf, and I'll take a photo of you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Sam and I have known each other for a long time. I think the first time I actually really met him is he sold me this really junky guitar. No, actually, it was a really good guitar. What was the name of that shop? It was in Pomona, right? Yeah. It was it a Christian guitar shop? Wow, you old Christian guitar shop. How cool is that? Wow. And uh, yeah, so Sam and I became friends after that, and we kept running into each other. And yeah, and Sam sounds so suave up here. And he's saying that, that um, you know, he grabs stuff from me. I'm going to try and talk like you, but I don't think it's going to work. But anyway, so you're stuck with my mousy little voice. I get nervous. My mouth gets dry. I got a cup of water somewhere. There you go. I'm all set. So it's really good to be here this morning. And I know we're not in Hawaii, and we're going to try and bring Hawaii into the building a bit with some of these images. Uh, my wife and I are blessed to live there, and, and my son. And, and um, we've been there for about three years and working, doing different ministries and whatnot. And uh, yeah, it's been really, really, really fun. So I want to spend some time talking about the lessons I've learned as a photographer and sharing my photography as we go along. So every, every slide will be different shots that I've taken care of. And I, I brought some limited prints as well, and most of them are what you see here. I think there will be some extra ones as well. And there's some note cards and so forth, so check them out afterwards. Uh, but first of all, just a, a big thank you to Kalo TV. Uh, that's a Christian TV station over in Hawaii. And if you're interested in them, they're the ones who produced that, that piece on me. And I was kind of shocked at that. They found me on social media of all places and said, hey, you know, we want to do something with you. And I thought, what? You know, and, and I couldn't believe it. And it was, they did such a great job, so much so that I decided to get more involved with them. So they are, they, if you want to learn more, you can text that number or you can visit kalotv.com. A lot of their stuff is a lot of Christian teaching and so forth. I think Sam needs to be on the TV station. You guys need to produce something. It would be really cool. Something out of the box. That's really what we're looking for, too. And I know that's totally uh, in Sam's wheelhouse. So, yeah, uh, check out Kalo TV. You can watch online. So let's start with a quick lesson about photography. How many of you guys here love photography or, or are into photography? Awesome. That's great. So um, what is photography anyway? Well, for me, it's painting with light. That's exactly what photography is all about. And in Hawaii, there's something special about the light there. As a matter of fact, the, um, um, the makers of Lilo and Stitch, the Disney animators, they actually went over to Hawaii. Most of them thought it was just they just wanted to have a, a holiday, a vacation. But no, they actually went there to study the light because they knew the light there was quite different which I totally agree with. When we moved there, I, couldn't, I, couldn't I can't tell you how amazing the light is there when, when the sun sets or when it rises. It's just beautiful. So we're going to do a little lesson here. It's very basic, very simple, so don't worry. But there's three foundation elements to photography. And the first one is capturing light. And sometimes there's a lot of light, and sometimes there's no light at all. What's interesting, if you go out with a camera and you know what you're doing with a camera, you can go to a place where there's no light. You set your camera up, and believe me, if you set your, your, uh, your camera right, you're going to see a lot of light. For instance, at night, you think, well, there's no light out here. Set it up to the sky. 
you're going to see a gazillion stars plus. We can't even count them. So it's quite interesting to see how much light there actually is and the secret of trying to capture it. It's technical, but when you do it right, when you do it creatively, it becomes art. So that's the first step. The second step is capturing time, and that's with shutter speed. And today, shutter cameras, a professional camera can, can shoot one eight-thousandth of a second. So take one second, split it up 8,000 times, and that's how quick the camera can, can shoot with a pro camera. I think just your regular camera can shoot one four-thousandth of a second. I mean, that's fast enough, right? But when I shoot surf photography, as I mentioned on the video, I'm shooting between 2,500 to 3,500 of a second to get that shot, to watch the spray just freeze. And it's amazing what you can get. So that's the second element. It's about capture, capturing time. And you want to capture detail? Well, a fast shutter speed is the way to go. You want to express movement? Then you use a slower shutter speed. And, of course, it all depends, too, on, like, you know, what type of light situation you're in. You know, if it's a dark moment, well, then you're going to need to open up that shutter speed anymore, yeah, even more. So you want to express uh, things through time. That's the shutter speed aspect. And then you've got the last thing, and it's composition. And this is the best thing. So... It's seeing, really, it's seeing the image before you take it. Once you get into photography, one thing I've learned is that you go out and you shoot, and the first thing you do is you look, and you spend time checking out the situation, and before you ever take the photo, you know what you want. And then you go and you set up your camera and do what you need to do, and you grab your shot. So composition is seeing the image before you photograph it. Uh, it also, composition literally means creation, structure, form, ingredients, fabric. And it's all about framing, foreground, background, and, and I already said frame. And it's looking at the shot. Here's, here's a hot tip for you, all of you guys getting shots. When you look at your shot, look around the edge and see what you've got. And make sure you've got, got something filled that you want. And that's a big secret about composition. But also look at the foreground. Look what's in the front. Look what's in the back. As a matter of fact, when I go out and shoot... Um, especially, especially a commercial shot when I, or like a portrait, I tend to look at, at the, um, the background first, what's behind the person or behind the product, whatever I'm shooting. And if it's good, great. If it's not, i got to change and look for something different. So background's really important, believe it or not. So where am I now? Composition is all about examining and surveying the shot before you take it. So what does that leave us? Well, here's a review. It's about light and time, and those two are technical, and then composition. And if you add those three elements together, you get art. You get fine art. And that's what I love to do, to take photographs that have some sort of artistic value to it. For someone to sit there and look at it and spend time at it, and they get something out of it maybe you didn't even see, you know, as, as the person taking the shot. And uh, that's what I love to do. So light plus time plus composition equals art. Oh, I've got all these technical things that Gil set me up with. I've known Gil forever, too. It's fun. Well, how does this practice impact or enhance my faith? That's a good question, right? Well, believe it or not, it really impacts my, my faith. And um, when you become passionate about looking for light, painting with light, and dealing with time and dealing with composition you see things that you've never seen before. And the secret is, is that 
you see things that were hiding right before you in plain sight. And why is that? Well, that's what we're going to spend some time with today. So the real game changer for me is observation. Is that up there yet? It's coming. Observation. It's learning to be observant. And that is such a key to photography. And I'm going to give you a secret right now. That's the only point we're going to cover today. So when you go home and people say, oh, what did you learn in church today? You don't have to worry about three points or ten points. Just one point. Observation. Can you say it? Observation. That's it. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And it's really a key factor in photography and also in your spiritual walk. You see, the secret to becoming a great photographer is you have to be intentional, you have to stop, and you have to observe. Get that straight. Be intentional. Like when I go out and shoot, I'm being intentional. I want to go out and grab something that will be beautiful, and I'm looking. And the way to look is you need to stop. You need to get rid of all the things that distract you and so forth, and then observe. And it takes a bit of time to understand that secret. But let me tell you, the secret to a rich, close relationship with Jesus is exactly the same. It's being intentional in your relationship with the Lord. It's stopping what you're doing and observing what God wants to say to you. And that's the lesson. We can all go home now. Now there's more. Okay, so I was thinking about that, and uh, there's a great passage, and it's in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, please turn to it. We're going to skim through it. We're not going to go through the whole thing, although it's well worth having a read. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And um, we're just going to... I just want to give you a bit of a background. Now, you probably know this already, but if you don't, you know, when you look at the first century church, you kind of have to get the, get the understanding of the life that they were living. You've got to understand, in that point in time, it was a new faith. I mean, Jesus, you know, the cross, all those things just happened. And so people were trying to work it out and understand, and the world was trying to work it out, and they hated it. So much so that Christianity basically was... Um, the preferred entertainment of the day. What I mean by that is they used to kill Christians, and it was entertainment. It was like, hey, Sam, let's go down to the Colosseum. Why? Oh, they got some fresh Christians and some hungry lions. Let's go check it out. And that was the life that they were living in. So if you're a believer at that time, this is what you faced. You know, it wasn't a fun time. And, you know, I think about our world today. I think we're kind of going, heading that way, really. Our society is looking at Christianity as... Oh, you guys are just joy killers, you know, that kind of thing. And um, it's sad because they're not understanding the truth. So the first thing he does is in verse 1, he opens up and he says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. So there's a hint right there. Hey, Paul's saying, guys, don't lose heart. We have this ministry. I know it's tough, but we've received mercy. We were just like, like everybody else. But now we have mercy from Jesus, from God. So don't lose heart. Then dropping down to verse 4, he says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Even in terms of photography, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded people's eyes. They don't understand. They don't get it. They're not, they're not on the same page as us. They're missing the whole point. And then look at verse 6. This is a great passage. It says, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Don't you love that? 
I guess maybe from a photography head, I'm thinking light to shine out of darkness. That is beautiful. That's how God has presented himself to us, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So through darkness, he turned on the lights, and because of that, we can see the face of Jesus and all that he is to us. And that's a beautiful passage. And it keeps going. It's, and in verse 6, or I'm sorry, verse 8, there's all these juxtapositions. You know what that means? It's like, you know, like uh, a lot of irony about it. And here we have a few. It says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Isn't that the life of faith? Isn't that, you know, your Christian walk? I mean, maybe you guys have got it together. I think you probably do. But, man, in my life, we go through a lot of stuff. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is really hard. And you can't figure it out. I love that second one. We are perplexed but not in despair. That's, that's a great description of the mental anguish that we go through when we're dealing with stuff and we're trying to work stuff out. And it's just totally perplexing. And it's really hard. But we're not in despair. It's okay. We're going to get through this. And that's what Paul's teaching here. And then he goes on in verse 16. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's the promise that we have. Yes, we are, we are dealing with all these factors in our lives and, and challenges. And, you know, it's just the... Uh, uh, the, um, the, the watching people going through physical pain. Um, you may be going through physical pain. All these things that are happening really affect us, but we don't lose heart because, heart because even though the outward may be perishing, the inward is being renewed day by day. That's the promise that we have. But the one thing I really want to go to is this next passage, and it says this, We look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So that got me thinking, you know, doing photography, I'm grabbing all these incredible images and whatnot. By the way, that image is called Risen, and I got that shot, um, well, I got blessed by that shot just before uh, Easter one year, and I thought, wow, you know, look at that, just like this wave rising, and what happens is these big waves start coming up, and then the wind pushes the wave at the very last minute, pushes the wave up and it just shoots up and it's just absolutely incredible moment and I love shots like that but anyway um, we look not at the things that are seen but the things that are unseen because the things that are seen are transient it says what does that mean that means that they're not going to last it's not going to it's not going to um, be there forever especially when you're doing photography that that moment is gone forever I was fortunate enough to be there and to see it and that's what we've got but you will never see that exact moment ever again. It's transient. You know, and, and really, that's, um, we are introduced here to a concept that um, there is more than what we see. You know, there, it's not what we see is what matters. That's not going to last forever. But what we don't see is what's more important. And there's an unseen reality. In fact, uh, Paul tells us that we, what we see is temporary, transient. It's not going to last don't hang everything on that. He was, don't remember the backdrop of what he, how he was writing this letter is to Christians that were going through major struggle, dealing with pain, dealing with persecution. 
their neighbor Johnny is no longer along, around because he was, he was persecuted to death. Imagine that kind of life. You know, fault, us as a church just here, some of us departing because of the persecution you may have gotten. Um, and that's the life that was going on. So don't get caught up on your situation here as you see it. So I have a question for you. Have you guys ever stopped at a sunset and just sat and watched it and really taken the time to watch it? You know, as a photographer, I get to do that all the time because I'm going out. You know, when, I, when we go out, it's funny because the sun doesn't, you know, sunrise, uh, sunset doesn't wait for you. So I'll ask my wife, hey, you want to go? Come on, Sharon, let's go. She goes, yeah, let's go. And then she'll be getting ready, and I'm like, I'm trying to get all nervous, kind of like I was with that guy at, at uh, Pipe Masters. Let's go. It's not going to, you know, we can't uh, rewind it. This, is, it. this is it. And I'd be, you know, okay, I'd be yelling at her. I know that's wrong. But anyway, <laughs> we finally make it to the beach, and I throw all my stuff down, and it's either a moment of, well, this is really great, or uh, maybe. So as a photographer, I love drama, and I love it when the sky is got like this one. It's got full of stuff in the sky. That's a, great, that's a great moment for me. But when the sky is perfectly blue, not so much. It's like, uh, I, you know, I'll walk out to the beach, and if it's totally blue and there's nothing in the sky, I won't even pull the camera out. So let's just sit down and, and just enjoy it. It's still beautiful, but I love this kind of stuff. So there's something spiritual about watching a uh, sunrise or a sunset and and, but you have to be intentional. You have to get out there. It's not about driving down the freeway and go, oh, look, beautiful sunset. You know, you're trying to capture it and you're going to hit somebody, you know, because you got your phone out or something like that. Although those moments are great and it's really good to see that, but there's something special about stopping, heading to the beach or heading to a mountaintop and watching a sunrise or sunset intentionally and really spending the time. I feel it's a spiritual moment. I feel that you can actually see something beyond what you're seeing. I know that sounds crazy, but I mentioned it in the video where I believe there's these, like the Celtics believe, there's this thin place where there's a moment where all of a sudden you get a little peek into eternity. I know that may sound spooky to you, but I feel that. And lots of times it's in situations that has nothing to do with a sunset or a sunrise. It could be a difficult situation where you're at a hospital bed and you're watching somebody breathe their last breath like I did with my dad. I never, that was probably my first experience. And I remember talking to the Lord saying, God, don't let me, I don't want to be in this room alone with my dad. You know, I don't want to see this. And sure enough, everybody left. I'm left alone with my dad. He gives his last breath. But that changed my life forever because I realized at that point, my dad's going to, into eternity. He's stepping out of the scene into the unseen. And there was this thin place there, this thin moment. And that happens a lot when you sit in front of a sunset or a sunrise. And, you know, in fact, in fact, scientists today believe that there are multiple dimensions that we don't see. You know, we can get into the science of that. I won't, I won't bore you with that. But it's really amazing when you look into it, there is an, an unseen dimension. And we know that as believers. And, of course... Um, as Christ followers, uh, this unseen world governs how we live in the seen world, right? You know, we know that there is eternity. So we do things in our lives to make sure that we're ready for that. We are not living in this world. We are, like Paul was teaching to those guys, to that church, we are trying to get ready 
for what's eternal, not for what's temporary. So that's a beautiful thing. All right, let me have a drink here. I should have filled it up a bit more. So I got a question for you. If what is, we see is transient, then what's the point of all this? I mean, this is beautiful and everything. This is a morning at Cakey's Beach, and um, it's, it's gorgeous. But if it's temporary, if it's temporal, what's the point? Why is God doing all this stuff? Well, Romans chapter 1, verse 21 has the answer. And it says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, humanity, the rest of us, are without excuse. That's a beautiful verse, and that really gives us a bit of perspective as to why do we have all this stuff. Oh, look at my beautiful wife, Sharon. Thank you. <laughs> wow, that's really a lot of water, but probably good. Um, but, yeah, that's a beautiful verse, and it really kind of sets things in its proper perspective, that we, that when we look out and we see beautiful sunrises, sunsets, we see, and it's not just there, it's not just in landscapes. We know, you know when you see something that's incredible. It's there to point us to God. It's there to point us to eternal things, not, not physical things. And then we go a little further, and it says this. Do I have to push a button? Here it comes. This is in Colossians, and it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. You were created for him, and you are created through him. The sunsets, the sunrises, the beauty of this world was created for him and through him. Isn't that beautiful? That's the God that we serve. That's who Jesus is to us. And that's why we have this beautiful planet to capture. I get to do it with photography. Um, And sometimes my wife and I will be driving, and she's trying to capture it with her iPhone. And I said, you know what? Just drop the phone and enjoy it because I know we're not going to get it. It's not going to do any justice. I mean, lots of times my images don't do it justice. It's like, and I didn't really get it, you know. And it's just because it's so big. You know, you just can't do it. It's just too massive. But that's what's so amazing about God. So I want to ask you, or actually I want to talk to you a little bit about the entire purpose of, uh, and point of creation in light of God, which is we've already covered that. And it, um, what's interesting, though, is when you think about it, God, who most people feel that, He's an elusive character. He doesn't make himself well-known. But if you look at those patches, passages that we just went through, he's making himself really well-known, isn't he? He's telling us every day, hey, I'm right here. Can't you see me? You know, it says in that passage, all of creation is to point to me so you can understand who I am. As a matter of fact, there's a 12th century German theologian. His name is Meister Eckert. And he says this, if the soul could have known God without the world, the world would never have been created. So this world that we live in was created so that we get to know who God is. That's a beautiful thing to me. The creator is courting us. For those of us who's married, who are married, remember when we courted our wives? 
man, whatever I can do to make this, this woman know that I love her and that I'm really a good guy, I'll do. You know, and lots of times we end up buying things that are really useless and all they want to know is more about your character, right? And uh, God is courting us. Hey, I'm showing you my character, all the stuff that I'm doing, my power, my majesty, all of creation is pointing to that. And he wants to be intimate with us. You know, he wants a relationship with us. Maybe we should pay attention. You know, and whether you have a, a, a wide-angle lens or whether you have a, um, a microscope, as microscope, you will see God's fingerprints all over the place, everywhere. So, yes, it is who we're looking for. We're looking for God. So it's all about observation. We're still on the same point. I know it's a long one-point sermon, but, hey, it's good stuff. And we're learning to observe. That's what this is all about. And why is it so hard today to observe? It feels like a lost art. And if you think about it, um, the best way for me to describe it would be uh, the little game, would you rather game. Have you heard of that? Would you, it, it's like a lose-lose situation every time. Would you rather eat boiled cockroaches or fried snails? You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to. I hate that game because, like, what choice do I have? Would you rather swim with hungry sharks or be thrown in a cage with a hungry lion? Great. You know, that's, that's like the worst game ever. So we're going to play the game. Sorry. But it's not going to be that bad. So this game is this. Would you rather be bored or would you rather be distracted? And that's what I want you to sit in your head for a bit. Catch that. Would you rather be bored or would you rather be distracted? So I watched this TED Talk. I don't know if you guys watch them, but some of them are really good. This one was great. And it's by this lady. Her name is, it's a weird name, uh, Manoush Zumarodi. And she was part of the Silicon Valley crew, you know, doing a lot of um, uh, tech stuff and so forth. And she gets married and she has a baby. And that slowed her life down completely. And it really, she struggled with it. But she learned some great things. And she did this talk called Bored and Brilliant. And there's some great stuff that she learned here. So in June 2007, everything changed. Can anybody think what happened in June 2007? Anybody? Probably not. It changed all of our lives. The iPhone was launched. The smart device in our hand. What happened? We now had the internet in our pocket. Everywhere we went, we had information. We were no longer, we had so much convenience and connectivity like never before. Thousands of apps. We can do anything from our phone. And even today, you, you guys know, whether it's an iPhone or whatever, Samsung, it doesn't matter, that smart device is, what would we do if we got rid of that, right? It'd be really difficult. But that was the start of it. And um, it was a great opportunity. It was great it made our lives much more convenient, but at what cost? What happened to our lives? We exchanged the spare moment for the new technology. I was in an elevator that only went for four floors, and as soon as I stepped in, there were like five of us. Uh, everybody but me um, pulled their iPhone out or whatever it was and started looking. Four floors. It was like less than a minute to go where we needed to go, and everybody like, oh, I don't want to be... I don't want a spare moment. Better look and see what's going on. And that's our life. Have you ever been to a restaurant and you see this lovely looking couple over here? What are they doing? They're not even looking at each other's eyes. They're just looking at their iPhone, you know. 
And uh, it's just the weirdest thing. That's what we're so used to. So boredom is no longer an issue, so we think. Instead, we are distracted. And that presents a whole new set of problems. So let's go through some of these things. So the neuroscientists say there's a default mode, mode which you would know as being bored, right? Okay, so when we are bored, what happens is this thing called autobiographical planning. Planning, what is that? Well, autobiographical planning, say that three times fast, is when our most brilliant moments of creativity occur. But we no longer have those moments. We're no longer being creative because we've gotten rid of all those things and now we're completely distracted. It's, again, when our most brilliant moments of creativity occur. So distraction has taken our moments of brilliant creativity and filled it with, you named it, whatever game you're hot on or whatever news you want to watch or whatever social media you want to play with. It's like we're so caught up in that, we're not being observant. We're not looking and we're not being in the moment. And it's destroying families and so forth. It's a crazy thing. So Dr. Daniel Levitin, he says this, when shifting your attention from one thing to another, the brain has to engage neurochemical switches that uses up nutrients. Multitasking isn't a thing. For those of you who say, oh, I'm multitasking, guess what? No, you're not. There's no such thing. You are switching from one thing to the other, and you're burning neurochemical switches. And that's what's happening. And by the way, you have a limited supply. You're burning them out. So when you're thinking, yeah, 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 you know, you're just moving along, sorry, you're burning up. And today, uh, on, you switch on average about every 45 seconds, you, and that's on average, it's probably higher than that, uh, all day long. Um, it used to be every three minutes before we had the smartphone in our pocket. Every three minutes, you would, you know, change direction and do. Now, it's every 45 seconds, if not more. And if you're a young adult, more than likely, it's, who knows, you know, a lot faster than that. And, and your mind is just going every which way. Uh, Dr. Gloria Mark, she says, on average, people check email 75 times a day. And we do mental switch tasks 566 times a day. <laughs> Somebody's like, yeah, I know. It's me. Okay, hands raised. You know, mental switch tax, tasks, 566 times a day. Um, the more you are shifting your attention a day, the more stressed you will be. I'm sure nobody here is stressed, right? Oh, my gosh. It's crazy. We are so stressed because we are so busy with all the distractions in our life. And so a question is, should we throw away all, burn, should we um, set up a little altar here and burn all our smart devices? Yeah. Well, if it was my, yeah, yeah, let's do it, yeah, you know. Well, yeah, is it evil? Yes, it's from Satan, you know, all that. Okay. Well, no, it's, it's not that. And the best, the best description I've read is this. Your smart device, it's much like a power tool. So I love power tools, especially when you're lazy like me and you don't want to spend all day cleaning up the yard. Man, if I have a chainsaw and I need to cut trees, boom, I can do that like butter. It's great. But if I don't respect that chainsaw, what happens? I'm losing fingers or other things, you know, or someone else is getting hurt. So your smart device is very much like a power tool. It's a great tool, but 
Lots of times we're losing fingers. We're losing brains. We're losing a lot of things. We're hurting people with our power tool. And we have to be careful of how we use it. And that's really the key. That's something you have to remember. So there's a battle going on for your attention. And very smart people are working hard to keep you distracted. You've got to understand that at Google, for instance, there are thousands of engineers. What is their job? Their job is to keep you on their, your device. They're going to distract you. And I have to admit, I mean, not too long ago, I was... I kind of had a moment of rest. What did I do? That, this is really stupid. I totally admit it. My wife will say I told you so. And I sat there, and I was just looking at Instagram, you know, doing this with my finger, <laughs> just going, going, going. And then she walks in, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just looking at stuff. And then I thought, what am I doing? Put it down. And we get, you know, they say that it's like cocaine and crack. It's the same thing that will actually, it's the same process in your brain that we are getting addicted to this stuff. So... Thousands of Google engineers are showing our, t- our, our uh, their whole job is to keep us distracted. Check this out. Here's a quote from the CEO of Netflix. He says this, our biggest competition, Netflix's biggest competition is Facebook, YouTube, and sleep. <laughs> He's trying to keep us from sleep. That's crazy. But how many of you binge, don't know, um, this is this rhetorical question. How many of you binge watch? Yeah, I do. And it's like next thing you know, man, you're watching. It's like, oh, man, it's 2 a.m. I got to go. I got to work tomorrow. Why do I feel so tired? You know, well, it's because they're on purpose trying to keep you on your, your item. Your, it could be a laptop. It could be a smart device. That's a crazy quote, but it's really true. And interestingly enough, the only businesses who refer to their customers as users are drug dealers and technologists. What's going on with that? We are all on a new drug, and it's called distraction. So our minds and hearts are focused on the scene. We're no longer having these brilliant moments of creativity, sadly. You know, it's time to break the hold of distraction and begin to observe and be in wonder isn't that, it? that, that's really where we need to be. And we're losing that. And we have to have these brilliant moments of creativity. But we got to break the chain of some of these things that are holding us back. So let's take a look at two people in the Bible, Moses and David. I love these guys, and we can learn a lot from them. Both of these characters were in a place of no distraction. And more than likely, they were very bored, if you think about it. What happened? God shows up. A brilliant moment with the Creator. So let's look at Moses first. If you, if you have a Bible, you don't have to turn to it now. I'm just going to review it. But we know the story. It's in Exodus chapter 3. You read 2 and 3. We know that um, at that point, Moses was in a very boring situation. He was tending sheep in the middle of the desert for 40 years. Not 40 days, 40 years. Imagine that. First day, day one. Get up, grab, grab some lunch with you to take out and be in the desert, watch sheep, you know, make sure they're not going to take off, grab the one that took off, you do that, uh, break for lunch, afternoon comes, it's cranking hot like Southern California or even Hawaii at this moment, and uh, watch the sheep, make sure they're okay, keep them together, all right, five o'clock comes, it's done, I'll go home. Next day, same thing, you're doing that, okay. 365 times, one year. 
Let's do that for 40 years. That's where Moses was at at that point. Of course, we know the story. He was running because he murdered an Egyptian. And, you know, somebody called him out. And he's like trying to work out where life is. Remember where he came from, too. He was living in the palace with Pharaoh. Now he's in the middle of nowhere, the backside of nowhere. And, you know, bored as ever. Well, guess what? God shows up. There's this burning bush. We know the story, right? And I love it. If you, read, if you read that passage carefully, it says that when Moses turned and he saw it, he started heading to it, then God speaks to him. So God sets a little trap up basically and says, let's see if this guy pays attention. Let's see if he's observing. Sure enough, Moses goes, wait a minute, that bush is not burning up. It's on fire. What the heck? What is this? And then God starts speaking to him. What is the first thing he says? Hey, man, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. What? And can you imagine Moses? What do you mean holy ground? I've been out here for 40 years. This isn't holy at all. It's, it's hell, actually. And God says, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And what happens from that point? We know that Moses becomes a leader of a nation. He, he pulls Israel out of uh, the Jews, the Hebrews, out of bondage. And the story goes on. But it was a brilliant moment with God. As a matter of fact, and I guess Moses was so bored, he thought, well, hey, God's here, and it's just me and him. Hey, by the way, what's your name? Who should I say sent me? And that's a pretty bold thing if you think about it. You know, and God answers him. And I love, this is really not on my notes, but we'll just say it. Do we have time? Are we running out of time? We're okay? Or yes? <laughs> All right. So uh, uh, he says... God says, my name is, and we know it as Yahweh. But when you actually say it in the, in the actual Hebrew, it, Hebrew, it kind of says, well, I'll try it here. It says, it's, it's yod he vah something like that. I haven't looked at that. But what that is is actually the sound of breathing. It's a sound of breath. And it's a beautiful statement that God says, I created you to say my name. Every breath, every living breath that you have is you're actually proclaiming my name. So when, when, the, um, when the, uh, the atheist says, I do not believe in God, he just said God's name. Isn't that incredible? That's, that's Moses in the desert. And we're going to go on because I don't want to go too long here. Uh, we look at David. On the, again, on the backside of nowhere, watching sheep, growing up watching sheep, uh, you, you know, hey, kid, there's nothing else you can do. You go, you go tend the sheep. And what did he do? He wrote at least 73 psalms, and you know where you can find them in the Bible. Beautiful stuff, free of technology, lots of time, autobiographical planning. David wrote all these incredible songs. And one psalm I want to point out is Psalm 27, verse 4. Uh, you can turn to it if you want, but I'll just read it to you. This is the message version, by the way. And it says this, I am asking God for one thing, only one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I will contemplate his beauty. I'll study at his feet. And that's the only quiet, secure place in a noisy world. The perfect getaway, far away from the buzz of traffic. And maybe it's online traffic for us. I love what David says there. You know what? I just want to sit at God's feet. I just want to hang out. I want to observe God. And that's exactly what he's doing here. So let me finish with one more brilliant moment, and that's with Elijah. You guys probably know the story. Uh, The nation was a mess. It was being ruled by this power couple, uh, Jezebel and Ahab, and they were just like 
bad, bad people. And um, um, John, don't think about other people. I know who you're thinking about. Modern day power couple. Uh, I won't mention her names, Bill and Hillary. Uh, so, um, uh, so it was a bad situation. And they were basically putting um, Israel into a bad place. They were beginning to worship Baal. Not beginning. They were worshiping Baal. And Elijah says, hey, man, this is it. We're going to have a showdown. So he calls the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them. And, uh, and then he stands and says, hey, let's, let's, do, let's, let's have a little party here. You build your uh, uh, altar, throw the bull on there. I'll do the same, and we'll call down on our God. You know, I'll call down on my God. I'll, you call down on your God, and see, let's see what happens. Done deal. So the prophet, you guys go first. You know, Baal builds the temple. I'm sorry. The prophets of Baal build the altar, and they, you know, they start calling on God pretty much all morning long. By noon, Elijah's going, hey, man, what's going on with your God? Maybe he's um, asleep. You know, what's happening? He starts ridiculing them. And he even says, maybe he's occupied. And literally the term there is maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he's just too busy. And he's laughing at them, and then nothing's happening. They're cutting their heads with knives and stuff, trying to make something happen. Nothing happens. Isn't that pretty much like life sometimes? We try to make things happen. We end up hurting ourselves. Anyway, Elijah goes over, and they say, hey, Dump as much water as you can. They make a, a, a moat around it and everything. And then he just prays to God. God, please reveal to this nation, to your people, that you're alive, that you're real, you're the done deal. What happens? Boom, fire, licks up all the water, burns the cow. We're talking, you know, uh, smoked meat. And it's, uh, it's incredible. And, and then the, the prophets of Baal are like, what? And then Elijah says, grab them. Let's kill these guys. So it's a cleanup, and that happens. And Elijah, man, can you imagine the power that he must have felt? Well, God came through. This is awesome. And um, it was a a brilliant moment. But what happens the next day? Um, um, Jezebel hears about it and sends a messenger to Elijah. says, before the day is over, I'm going to do to you what you did to the prophets. What does he do? Oh, man, God's on my side. No problem. No, he runs. He takes off. And he runs for days like Forrest Gump. He just goes. And he goes all the way to Mount Horeb. I'm really speeding up the story here. But he goes all the way to Mount Horeb. It's a terrible situation. And now he's in a wet cave and he feels all alone. It's amazing. All that incredible stuff he did, he feels all alone. And uh, we see here in this passage, I just want to read it to you. He goes out. I don't know if you can read that. I'll read it to you. It says, Go out, this is God speaking to Elijah now, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. We all know this passage, I'm sure. And so it was when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and stood out in the entrance of the cage. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And that's apropos for the story. But the point I want to stress here, it's not the big earthquake. It's not the big wind. It's not the thunder and lightning. It's that still, small voice. So what was Elijah learning here? He was learning how to be observant. You see... God wants to meet us. He wants to break through this thin veil, and, and he wants to uh, talk to us. 
You know, but we're so distracted. There's so many things in our world. You know, our ears have lost a sense of hearing God. So my heart for you guys is to start being intentional, to stop, get rid of those distractions, and be observant. And let's see what God says to you. God wants to speak to us. I mean, I really believe we're living in these last days. I believe it's a pretty scary place. We need to be, you know, we need to be listening to what God wants to do and what he, and we need to hear what, what he has to say to us. So, again, it's about being observant. So as we pray, I just really want to ask God that for all, every single one of us, that we would learn that beautiful art and we would be like, like um, David and be like Moses and Elijah. You know, Elijah was on the run, but, man, he, he finally hears from God. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your heart to reach out to us. That everything that we see, this, all of this creation, all this stuff around us, is just so that we could pay attention to you. Thank you that you are so much wanting to court us, to be close and intimate with us. How beautiful is that? Lord, forgive us for all the distractions in our lives, Lord. Some things I know, Lord, we, we, we have to do, but Lord, that doesn't mean that we can't stop and be intentional and pay attention to who you are. So, Lord, I, I just pray for all of us in this room, Lord, that you would show up, that, Lord, you would just speak to our hearts. And, Lord, you would just really begin to minister to us, Lord. And, Lord, we want to worship you. We want to we celebrate who you are in our lives. We want to give to you, Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord, for your love, your mercy, the fact that you laid your life down on the cross for us. And, Lord, we just can't wait, Lord, to, to spend that intimate time with you, Jesus. In your name we do pray. Amen. Thank you, Pete. I just want to remind you guys that Pete has a lot of his work there. Please feel free to go out there and support him by purchasing some of those things. And pick his brain. He's here for a little bit, so enjoy that time with him. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.